I'm Natalie Jackson and this is C Sporty B Sporty. Welcome back everyone. This is a bit of a special episode of C Sporty B Sporty um, that I'm hoping we can do a couple of things with. Um, so it is the start of September. We're recording this right at the end of August, but it is the start of September very soon. So we will be kicking off the school year. We will be kicking off the professional women's football season here in England. Games, I think, start on the 10th and 11th of September. And we will be celebrating England's historic win at the European Championship, England 2022. And so to help me do all three of those things, I have a special guest with me. She is a women's sports writer. She has worked for BBC Sport as a senior broadcast journalist and her book, A Women's Game, The Rise, Fall and Rise Again of Women's Football is out right now. Welcome to C Sporty B Sporty, Susie Rack. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Um, We should say before we start that you are en route. You are in a car having this chat. I love a chat in a car. It's much more chilled when you're just chatting in a car. Where are you going? What are you up to? I'm off up to St George's Park to England's training base before their first game since the Euro. So they're playing Austria um, in Austria, which I'm flying out to tomorrow morning. Um, but they've got like some media with some of the players this afternoon. So I'm going up there. Should have a chat with Lucy Bronze, I think, and a couple of others. Awesome. So, um, I mean, I don't want to say you've got a chat with more interesting people than me later, but let's be honest, you, you need to get on your way. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but firstly, I'm really pleased to have a chat with you. I know that we were trying to organise this chat to fit in with our Euro season that we brought out before the Women's Euros. But given, quite frankly, the summer of football that we've had and your book being out, I am not surprised that we couldn't get our diaries to match up. But um, thank you for joining us today. And what I'm hoping is that it will give us the opportunity to have a bit more of a broader chat. I know we have um, a diverse group of listeners to the C Sporty B Sporty podcast. Some are women's sports fans, some are um, working in women's sport, some are working in schools, some just know teenage girls and want to know what they can talk about with them around women's sport and and giving them more role models in sport. Um, So I'm hoping that this is a really good opportunity um, to talk more broadly. So within the the series that we had on um, the Euros, we talked about, you know, the ban on women playing in England and um, their sort of comeback story and how we're getting on with the Euros, what we expect from the Euros, what it might look like in the future. And now, obviously, spoiler alert, in case you've missed it, but England won the Euros. Um, And so I wanted to have a chat with you about looking back at that and looking forward with that and thinking, how do we think that will impact not just football, but women's football broadly, from my perspective, within schools, like a children, a children's, you know, experience of women's football, women's sport in the world. So I'm excited. Totally. I mean, like that's what is really, really exciting, right? Like my son is nine. He was eight during the Euro, like turned nine during the Euro. So I sometimes forget. Um, and it's tricky. Like, they just keep growing. They keep getting older. His, his first experience of uh, a major international tournament win for England is the women's team right and like he was at the opening game at Old Trafford he was at the final uh, at Wembley he's never been that interested in football but by the end of it he's sort of dancing like around the room singing Sweet Caroline like knows all the players names really hyped up about it um, in a way that like you know I just wouldn't have necessarily imagined and then to think more broadly of the impact on like 
little boys and girls in playgrounds and just just the optics of it being a women's team the women's team that did it um and in such style as well you know the manner of the way they played the goals they scored the likability of the players like it's just such a a game-changing dynamic for society more generally to have like strong powerful successful women um doing something that the men haven't done for however many decades um yeah it's that's a real powerful symbolic thing and message to be coming through to to young people nowadays isn't it that's what's great that's what makes it really really special i think and what sort of elevates it beyond just being a win or beyond you know if the men had won last summer it would have been great everyone would have had a great time but it like in terms of broader impact on society um and attitudes towards uh women in society this is just a, a next level of impact and then the impact on the game as well generally speaking in that you know obviously you're young gonna get more sponsors interested greater investment in the game these players are going to have bigger profiles be able to command um better wages and better sort of you know not just sponsorship deals but endorsement deals and all that kind of stuff in a way that they've they've never seen before and you know that's only going to have a knock-on effect across women's football generally which which is a positive thing uh, you know it's good that we can finally see women being able to make a livelihood out of a sport that men have been able to make so much money out of for a very very long time definitely and there is loads in what you just said that i'm like nodding everybody can't see me but i'm nodding there's loads in what you've just said that i yeah completely 100 percent agree with i have a few specific questions and i want to talk about um your book i want to talk about an article that you wrote um but before we start um, digging in too deep, I need to play my favourite game with you. <laughs> I talk about our diverse group of listeners, Susie, um, but I think everybody is is in agreement that the best part of the whole podcast is 11 <laughs> things everyone should know about Susie Rack. Um, so, are you ready? I am. I love, I love a game. Here we go. Cake or pie? Oh, cake all day long. Cat or dog? Uh, see, I was a cat person, but we've had, we've got a dog who is 18 <gasps> months old, and it's my first like ever experience of a dog in the family, in like you know even wider relatives, and I adore him. So I'm gonna have to say dog, yes. even though like cats are my thing. Uh, what kind of dog is he? He's a little border terrier called uh, Sonic. What? Sonic the Terrier. Oh, yeah, love them, love them. Uh, sorry, we, we digress. Um, invisibility or super strength? Oh, invisibility. Warm weather or cold weather? Cold. I feel like you can layer up more than you can take off, right? Like that's really? my theory. Yeah. True. Uh, love actually or bend it like Beckham? Bend it like Beckham. I like. I love both. But Bennett like Beckham, just like I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It showed me when I was a kid that girls could could play football um, in a way that you know, yeah, not many other things did. Hot chocolate or coffee? Hot chocolate. Can't stand tea or coffee. Digital watch or analog watch? Oh, that's a funny one. You're gonna then. Listeners won't be able to hear, but I'm going to show you my wrists. You have two. I've, you have both. <laughs> I've got an Apple Watch on one wrist and a like old school Casio 80s watch on the other. 
Um, so yeah, like actually, I think I prefer my like old school digital Casio to my Apple Watch. Look at me. It's a good question. I mainly use the Apple Watch for exercise stuff, and I actually use this uh, little old Casio that costs like twenty quid for like the time and also. Um, <laughs> It, at women's games we don't have like clocks um, on in a lot of the grounds and some do some don't and we like in when you go and cover a men's football match you have a little screen that shows replays and has the time on and things like that we don't have that at women's games because a lot of the grounds aren't equipped for it in press boxes so we're sort of reliant on technology and so I often will start the timer on my proper like analog watch so that I'm like on the time and yes I could do that on my Apple Watch it's got a timer but there's something much more satisfying about pressing a button on and off and pausing like in an old school stopwatch kind of way that I like yeah. so yeah I'll go for the Casio love it yeah I love that um box sets or movie uh film all day um I do love a box set but a film a film can't be a film singing or dancing uh oh singing watching football or watching tennis football but i do love watching tennis i do get <laughs> tennis i like yeah, i'm a yeah. i'm a sport junkie in that like i can get into anything so i was working on the desk at the guardian um like doing some layout and design and there was some golf tournament on i don't even know what it was i can't tell you anything about it but i just remember this was like a few years back there was a freeway tie and the, the prize pot was absolutely massive and they had to go into like a sudden death or hole by hole um, and it was just the most thrilling thing and I actually started like I was doing a late shift so I was finishing at like 1am and I actually stayed in the office until like 2 close to 3am because I was so hooked to watching this golf so I like yeah football is like first choice sport tennis is like very high up there but pretty much like I can watch anything you know I get into all kinds of crap during the Olympics and stuff that you just <laughs> watch. I love that. I love it when, you know, the Olympics or like the Commonwealth Games or something big is on and it's a sport that you just don't really know enough about. I feel like synchronised swimming, diving, things I know, I see, but I just don't know the rules. I love, love the rules of games. Definitely like the, the lawyer in me. I love the rules of it. Like, why are these the rules? We make up games in the <laughs> office. We had a small table tennis set the other day. Emily Freeman, 200 meter runner. Um, I think she's not competitive, but give her a small table tennis table and a table. <laughs> a small table tennis, like a little net in the back. We were playing, but we were making up our own rules because it wouldn't stick to the table. It kept moving. So there was like a rule where if within a certain number of shots, you could knock the net off the table. That was like game over. It was like putting the black in the um, in the finger. Yeah. So Love yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. We're, you're welcome to come and uh, <laughs> watch one of our crazy games. We were at Wimbledon, um, so we are super lucky and sometimes get, get to go to Wimbledon. Um, and we were at Wimbledon sort of pontificating about why why do they play on a, a space that size? Why is the net that high? Like, where do these rules come from? Somebody's made them up. Sorry, sorry, again, digressing. Uh, last question. Cardio or weight? Good weight? digressing. <laughs> sorry? Cardio or weight? Oh, um, weights. Um, I've got a personal trainer at the moment loving I, I like I've always done a bit of cardio but I'm loving the weight work I never thought I'd get into it good stuff burns calories better oh so I hear so I hear oh, oh I love I love that game you do you find out more than you think every time every time I think I'm gonna find out a lot and then I find out even more <laughs>
Mainly Sonic, not the hedgehog. The hedgehog. The hedgehog, yes. Yes. Oh, your son's a genius. A couple of things that have come out of that that I immediately need to ask you about. One is Bend It Like Beckham. I wrote myself a note to come back to this. Um, Bend It Like Beckham, how I feel like I could start a whole separate podcast. I, I won't, but I could, about the impact that that one film has had on a whole generation of English women who now have jobs in within sport or women's sport in particular. Tell me about Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, I mean, it's just like it's just an absolute game changer, isn't it? Because yeah. I mean, it it was so ahead of its time. Just in not in just in terms of girls playing football, but in terms of you know it being a young Indian girl playing football. In terms of like uh, look at um, you know gay relationships. Um, it was just so brilliantly ahead of its time I say again um and real deep impact I think that that I don't I don't know if the the creator ever realized quite how influential it would be but on you know the likes of myself but so many young girls watching it and feeling like they're not alone um you know when you see jazz in her bedroom with her massive Beckham poster on the wall and her football shirt on you know I was the only kid in my primary school that wore my Arsenal shirt religiously I say the only kid the only girl in my school that wore her Arsenal shirt religiously didn't take it off Arsenal baseball cap jogging bottoms like did not wear S's um and no one else in my orbit was like that apart from my cousin Lucy but who lived up in Northampton I saw like twice a year kind of thing no one else I knew was like that and then I'm sitting there in the cinema watching this film with this girl doing exactly that and expressing all the feelings I'm feeling about playing football. And then you think of the impact it's then having on um, young Indian uh, girls who are feeling that way and even uh, even more isolated from, from the world of football than, you know, I am as just a young white English girl. And, like, it's, it's unimaginable, really, what what the uh what the legacy of that film would become and how how well it would age as well i'd say like there's you know there's a few things that's you know age yeah. badly in loads of films but in terms of like all of the themes that it covers and um yeah. you know they're all things that they're all things that we're still grappling with today but yeah like like you say you ask pretty much any um any woman working in football or around football about Bennett Knight Beckham and they're going to wax lyrical over it because it really was a little bit of game changer at, at just changing the way we've used ourselves and feeling less alone, um, I suppose, is yeah the biggest thing. I just didn't feel that alone anymore. There was a really great um, series of articles and I think a little documentary as well, um, by uh, Miriam Walker Khan for BBC Sport on the 20th anniversary. Yeah, recently. Really, yeah. yeah, really, really great um, and like well worth digging into. There's um, yeah, a documentary on iPlayer, I think it is, um, called 20 Years On or Bend It Like Beckham 20 Years On or something like that. Um, loads of interviews with the likes of Gary Lineker and stuff, but then also the creator and like, it, yeah, real impressive analysis of the impact of that film that that goes far beyond me being able to articulate it now but 
yeah absolutely huge yeah totally totally agree and I was the same little girl I was in a Man United shirt so I'm not sure we'd have necessarily got on in every point but yeah I exactly the same and I think yeah I think the more people I the more people I ask this question to I think the more people I find had the same the relationship and no it you know nothing nothing no 20 year old film is going to have aged perfectly but actually the themes yeah completely agree the themes um I, I also want to talk before before I talk about a million other things. I want to talk about your book. So it's called A Woman's Game, The Rise, Fall and Rise Again of Women's Football. And um, I mean, I love it. I am I am a football fan, a women's football fan in particular. And I love the history and the thinking about where it might go and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, it's entertaining it's enlightening and I thought of both of those words before I read Claire Balding's quote about, about that it is entertaining and enlightening um I've got some other quotes here let me grab them from people who've said amazing stuff about it Megan Rapino, a truly important book shines a brilliant light on the game we all love and its broader impact Ian Wright an important book about the history power and potential of the women's game Phil Neville a fantastic book obviously former England um, and it's an England captain, England manager. Um, so tell me how it feels as well, because I know um, I, I know how hard it is. We're writing a book at the moment, and I know how hard it is to write a book. How does it feel when absolute heavyweights of the game, never mind the women's game, heavyweights of the game, are saying those things about your book? It's got to be nice. Oh, it's, it's immense. Um, I mean, I suppose, like, when you finish writing a book, you've got an immense amount of relief like it, I'm a writer for the Guardian right so like I write articles every single day and I hate writing I'm a writer that doesn't like writing I like I suppose it's it's almost you know it's like a drug isn't it it's like the feeling afterwards um like it's the it's the after effect that you like um not necessarily the process in and of itself so yeah I like I like the feeling of having written rather than the feeling of writing and you get that 10 20 100 fold with writing a book you finish it and you're like this is an incredible release and then you've got the then the next set of nerves kick in which is people are going to read this book right um and i was very much like i hope no one reads it because you know obviously you want it to sell well but you also like just don't open it because i'm not ready for it to be judged so then you know before it goes on sale you start you know having people reached out to to read it and give you quotes for it and things like that and when those start coming in and from the names that you know you read some of them there had like given me quotes and had looked at it that was a massive weight off my shoulders because I was really worried about it being read um and so to get those kind of comments before it's out into the public is hugely rewarding and like yeah real like I suppose a real weight off the shoulders of 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 um of yeah the pressures of of putting something actually that is quite personal to me out there as well whilst it is like a sort of general social political history of women's football there's a lot of me in that book as well um and my story and my relationship particularly in the introduction my relationship to sport and my body and like that kind of stuff that is like opening a door into me in a way that you know I don't necessarily want my 
parents and you know kind of uncles and aunts and stuff reading about and uh, and then just the wider world generally so that's yeah it's nice to get that feedback when you've got that sort of like nervousness about the book going out into the world I suppose. That for me though is the connection factor and that I'm, I want to come and talk about this article as well because this is more around the the win and the you know the, the impact that this will have so you wrote an article uh, where, what date was it? Must have been like, oh, the 2nd of August. So this was just after the England victory at the European Championships. And um, I, well, firstly, I, I cried when England won. And secondly, I cried again when I read your article that is called I Cried When England Won. Um, and it, it's been a long journey for women's football and for me as the rest of that title. And I think I... I think of so many things when when I read the when I read your article. It, so your article is about your journey around um, your career, what you see this win as meaning and as hopefully leading to within the future of women's football. And I I feel like I completely felt like I don't I don't sort of my career my work life is not in specifically in football. Yes, I coach and I've been director of a women's football club and you know those sorts of things, but you you're like a I think you say somewhere in the article about um have you know you could you could claim a fingernail on the trophy you can claim more than a fingernail on that trophy because I had people texting me when England won saying well done for everything you're doing and it just really I was super emotional about it but actually I'm not doing anything within actual football whereas you are you can definitely have at least a fingernail a whole finger I think um but I w- so I want to talk to you about a few bits within this article. And if you haven't read it, you should definitely um, read it. It is on the Guardian website. I've checked again today. It's still definitely there. Um, but you talk in this article about it being hard to articulate how much it means to you, which I fully resonate with. Um, there were people watching the match with me, understandably not um, not usual watchers of women's football or football in general, who were... I think it was when um, Jill Scott was getting was a bit bargy bargy in the last few minutes, and she was getting super emotional about it. And there were people, right, wasn't it? Well, yes, but there were people sort of going, "Oh, what's going on here? Oh, you know, this is a bit tense." And I think, and um, so many of the things that I guess we don't, we're not used to seeing from from women, maybe or women aren't supposed to be X Y Z or whatever. And um, yeah, and I think that's what sent me over the edge when I was, was sort of trying to explain, "Oh no, this is she knows what this means. This is bigger than this is." And yeah, all of that. So um, you say in this article, when you started writing about women's football, there was no full time work available at any English, British national newspaper for those wanting to cover women's football. When was that? When did you start work? When would that have been? So I've been writing about women's football for a while, but like not for any like major outlet. And then like for fanzines and smaller little newspapers, local ones, that kind of stuff. Um, and I start, so I'd been working on the Guardian sports desk for two or three years um, as a like casual, just doing shifts on layout, design, editing, that kind of stuff on the sports desk. Um, and I'd be writing for other places. And then they were looking for someone to write just ahead of the Euros in 2017. So like literally a Euro cycle. Um, 10 minutes ago in the world of women's football. Exactly a weekly column on women's football. So it, I like think of it as the first time in like the modern era of the game, at least, because I can't necessarily speak to, you know, kind of what newspapers didn't totally, you know, in the past. But 
where a newspaper has gone or um, a major outlet has gone, we're going to cover this every week, regardless of what's going on, um, whether there's news or not. Um, the likelihood is there will be news and we will cover it. And that was a bit of a switch away from what was sort of like, oh, there's an FA Cup final coming up, a women's FA Cup final. Yeah, we better send someone to that. Uh, who can we find that will go and cover this one-off game or cover this one-off event or this, you know, oh, there's a big um, top-of-the-table clash uh, that's going to decide the title. We should send someone to that. It was more of a, this is, we are going to cover this sport every single week. Um, and then it just escalated from there. So I started off, I was still doing desk shifts. I was working elsewhere. I was doing loads of stuff, writing this weekly column. Um, and then gradually and gradually, as like, the you know sort of game grew and the industry grew um you started getting opportunities open up um for people katie wyatt went full-time at the telegraph um by that point i was pretty much full-time although was working um uh on a like freelance basis but pretty much full-time for the guardian at that point then by just before the World Cup in 2019, I was on a full-time writing contract. And then literally October last year, I'm on a staff contract at The Guardian just to write about women's football. So it's like pretty much my journey with the sort of rise of women's football in recent years has sort of gone hand in hand with it. And I don't think that's an accident in that, you know, football needs the media to grow and the media needs football to sell papers like that's how it works so it's like a mutually beneficial relationship so yeah so like that article sort of tries to explain why the way i felt watching that euros win would probably be quite different to a male journalist working in the game covering the men's euros final last year had england won probably would have been very emotional for them on a very different level you know many of them have spent decades and decades and decades covering the England men's team and never seen any success and there would be a lot of emotion involved in that but I suppose it's a different level of emotion when the game is still very very reliant on media coverage to grow and you feel like much more of a part of helping it grow um and being a part of that process and having grown with it. Whereas, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the men's journalists who've been working in football um, have, you know, there's always been the opportunity to do that. Um, well, since the dawn of football, um, since long before they were born. So it, yeah, it was, that's what that article is trying to put, put in some context to the emotion because in press boxes, you're not supposed to cheer. You're not supposed to get emotional. You're not supposed to respond to the game. You're watching despite the fact that you know the rally is is why do you go and cover sport if you're not a sports fan like we're all fans we've all got teams lots of journalists try and hide what teams they're actually fans of and pretend there's some like great neutral they're not they all have teams um i just don't try and hide it i think it's better to be honest about it myself but that's just my personal opinion and then like I wanted to, in that article, say why sometimes it's okay to, you know, let the guards drop a little bit and to enjoy the moment and to, like, feel emotional about something and to not feel, like, slightly guilty about that because... I loved it. Not I loved it. I think that... It, and I think that is where women's football is different. I think we do all have these stories and we do all have these backgrounds. And, yeah, no, I think... Tell us, if you can, in in that like a summary for people who might not understand 
quite why it's such a big deal. What will, from a media perspective, what will England winning the Euros do differently that if they'd have come second wouldn't happen? Oh, it's game changing. I mean, you look at the first game that they're going to play is um, against Austria. And it's if they win, they can qualify for the World Cup next year. And we would previously, I, I would say two years ago, we wouldn't necessarily send someone to that game. I'd say a year ago, I would be going to that game. Now we're sending two people to that game. Like it's just elevating the opportunities for people to cover uh, the game. You know, like the public knows these players and wants to know about them. Um, and it's no accident you're seeing, you know, their photos being packed outside, you know, clubs and things like that. People want to want to know more about them and hear more about them. And the benefit for us is that then the opportunities come up. And I would say that the only real growth area in in football journalism, particularly at newspapers, has been in women's sport um, in recent years. Like generally, it's been a shrinking industry. But with the growth of women's sport, they've not got people to cover it. So they have to expand if they're going to take it seriously. Um, so that's what's really exciting is like, it's just, I mean, it, it's going to change not just the the number of jobs available, but our ability to do the job well. So like how much money is available for us to travel to games and things like that. You know, can we get to um, whichever game abroad? How many people will we send to the World Cup in New Zealand and Australia next year? Like all of those things suddenly people are a little bit more flexible with budgets. Suddenly things expand a little bit. Um, and I think if we had, if England hadn't won that final, it, it was still a game changing tournament, right? Like there was still yeah. so many positives to take from that tournament, but you can't underestimate the impact of um, the women's team bringing it home. Like for the first time since the men won the World Cup in 66 um, and the impact that will have on society, it will have on journalism, it will have on kids' consciousness, so they have a consciousness of parents letting their girls play football and things like that, like everything. Um, and journalism's not separated from that, and it will influence editors who maybe didn't care about women's football but have suddenly seen this team do something that they've never seen the men's team do. You know, that's you can't yeah. underestimate that impact, and that's what's great. I love. Everything you just said, I completely agree with. And I think from an external perspective, it is getting those stories out there. It's telling those role model stories, you know, helping people, letting people out. My little girl, she's four, and she was the goalkeeper in her little game this weekend, just uh, with the sofa. And um, she said, no, it's your turn, mummy. You get to be Mary Earps. But to me, that, <laughs> that is, that's the impact. We know we know their names. We know, you know, we see her standing on the table being this confident, awesome woman. That, that will change the world. Susie, thank you so much for having a chat with us. It has been lovely having you with us to celebrate not just the awesome achievement of the um, England women winning the European Championships, but also the start of the new football season and the start of the new school year. Um, we will be back sooner or later with another series of the C-Sporty B-Sporty podcast. But if you know anyone in the meanwhile who would love to have a chat with us, we would love to have a chat with them and do a one-off episode. Anything interesting in the world of women's sport or sport in schools, the gender sport gap, you know where we are. That's the end of C-Sporty B-Sporty bonus episode, talking to Susie Rack. If you are loving our latest episode of the C-Sporty B-Sporty podcast, please, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Reviews are super important to small, self-produced, independent podcasts like C-Sporty B-Sporty and yours will absolutely 
absolutely help other people hear it too. Thank you so much and have a fab day.